Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's March 24th, 1921. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. In ancient Greece, the Olympic Games were strictly a male affair. In fact, evidence suggests married women were even banned from watching them. And even by the dawn of the 1920s, the modern Olympic Games only allowed women to compete in a handful of sports deemed sufficiently ladylike. Which is why today in history in 1921, a group of female athletes took matters into their own hands by organising the first ever Women's Olympiad. Or Olympique Feminine, as they were called in French. <laughs> I feel we should honour the Olympic tradition and do everything in dual language. <laughs> yeah, so the competitors at this first event came from France, the United Kingdom, Switzerland, Italy and Norway. And the venue was uh, this lawn in front of the pigeon shooting range, which was just below the Monte Carlo Casino. Uh, and substantial crowds actually turned up to watch this small handful of nations performing in everything from hurdles to uh, javelin to basketball. But as you say, this was really a response to the fact that even though the Olympics had been brought back to life by Pierre de Corbatin in uh, 1900, he really wasn't a fan of women's sports and he made his own feelings about women very clear. He said their role should above all be to crown the victors. That was his perspective on what women (laughs) offered the competition. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because his, his, you say his position was clear. I mean, yes, he was an open opponent of women in sport, but the reason wasn't always clear because as they started to make compromises uh, in the 1900 Paris Games, for example, women were allowed to compete, but only in golf and tennis. Mm. Kind of like, okay, why? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you look at it now, you kind of think, is that because you don't sweat so much? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, in 1912, Coubertin said, a female Olympiad is unthinkable. It's impractical, unesthetic and improper. I mean, as late as 1935, he was still wanging on about how women should only be at the Olympics to hand out laurels, like in the good old days of ancient Greece. (laughs) But I think there is a bit of a pattern in the sports that women were allowed to participate in in the first years of the Olympics. As you say, tennis and golf, they were also allowed to be team members of sailing and croquet teams. The first female gold medalist ever was Helen Barbie, who was an American-born Swiss countess. She was sailing a yacht along with her husband and his nephew. In subsequent games, a few more sports opened up, archery, figure skating, swimming. But what links them all is that they're all basically upper-class hobbies. Mm -hmm. Nothing seen as unfeminine or anything that requires any diversion from living the life lifestyle of an upper class woman you know it was specifically sports that you might do in your leisure time nothing that would require you to you know commit full time to mastering a sport these are all things you could do and still you know keep up your charity work keep up your social life make sure you're still you know arranging your husband's engagements for him (laughs) 
Yeah, so the driving force behind getting women properly involved in sporting competitions around the world was Alice Milliat, who was this multi-talented sportswoman herself. She was a good rower and swimmer and also played hockey. And she was a real pioneer for the rights of women to be able to participate in sport in general. She founded the International Women's Sports Federation. La Fédération Sportive Féminine Internationale. Thank you. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) And basically, she wasn't satisfied with the idea idea that the Olympic Games would only be open to this handful of events. So she began to organise basically her own breakaway event to demonstrate that not only was it possible for women to take part in this stuff, but also that it was going to be popular with the public. Yeah, really, it was a pressure group to try and get the International Olympic Committee to just allow women into the Olympics. It's like, okay, well, we'll set up our own women's Olympics. How do you like them apples? (laughs) And let's see how long we can just keep doing this until it's just too embarrassing for you. Yeah, and I think the timing is really important too. So it's 1921, so it's three years after the end of World War One, which had brought more women and more working class and middle class women as well into traditionally male workplaces like factories. When you look at the history of lots of sports, you know, like football in particular, factory teams were the original leagues. And mm. so women were being exposed to these workplace teams in a way that they might not have been before. And combined with the growing trendiness of tomboys and the athletic female physique, you know, we talked a little bit in our Chanel episode about the concept of the new world who was athletic you know she wasn't dainty and fragile like a Victorian woman so more and more women were getting active and getting into sport but something like this Olympiad was so needed because organized women's sport was still in its infancy particularly in track and field which was really the sticking point here you know Milia and her allies wanted women to be included in running and hurdles and discus throwing which was surprisingly controversial Mm, you know she had to couch her case in terms really calibrated not to offend you know she said that participating in sport would help women quote found a healthy and robust family, help the country in the fight against all social disease and contribute to the preservation of world peace. You know, translation, running the 100 metres won't turn your wife into a (laughs) raving lesbian who wants the vote. (laughs) Yes, and it must be said, not everyone who was involved in the competition got that memo about needing to sort of push in a gentle way because the undisputed star of the 1921 Games was a Briton, Mary Lyons, and she took gold in the 60 metres and the 250 metres and silver in the 800 metres. She was also really good at long jump and she helped the British quartet uh, win the 4 by 75 metre uh, relay. But but one of the other really successful performers was Violette Morris, uh, who was this really driven competitor who participated in loads of sports, including wrestling, boxing, tennis and horse racing. And her personal motto was in English, anything a man can do, Violette can do better. So she had this really sort of in-your-face attitude. So throughout the 1920s, there was then this to and fro between the Women's Olympiad and the IOC. The IOC were like, you cannot use the word Olympics, but this was a time when they didn't protect their Olympic rings and the word Olympics with any IP. They were just like, you can't do it. And she was like, well, yes, we can. (laughs) Let's carry on doing it. Until slowly but surely, more and more women's events were being allowed into the Olympics proper. Yeah, Amsterdam 1928 Olympics were the breakthrough year. 277 women competed, including for the first time in track and field. 
100 meters, four by 100 meters, high jump discus, and 800 meters. This one was controversial. There was a popular rumor at the time, and I guess they didn't have a lot of cameras around, so it was easy for these rumors to spread. There was a rumor that the 800 meters had proven too strenuous for women, mm. and that the runners had been collapsing mid-race, fainting in the locker room. Uh, a closer examination by Lynn Emery of the California State Polytechnic University suggests that all nine of the runners did finish the race, and that it was actually the spectacle of the athletes resting on the ground afterwards that shocked some spectators. You know, that's what exactly what you expect runners to do now is throw themselves down yes. dramatically mm, in the infield. Right. Yeah, and th- that's what they did. And everyone just said, wow, look, these women are overcome. And But the reaction to this was so powerful that despite the lack of evidence that any women had found it too strenuous, the IOC removed the 800 metres and there was no women's 800 metres in the Olympics until 1960. But for some countries that participate in the Olympics, it's almost an ongoing process. And I was astonished to read that it wasn't until London 2012 that each participating country in the Olympics sent a female athlete to the Games. Not in every category, not in the weird sports. One female athlete, one female representative from each nation participating, not till London 2012. Yeah, so a breakdown of women's participation over the years. And in 1900, obviously, the participation of of women was at 2.2%. And in 1948, it was still only 9.5%. In 1984, it was only 23%. So, you know, three quarters of the competitors were still men in 1984. And in 2016, it was still 45%. So that creep of even involvement in the Games has taken such a long time. I mean, I know, I know we're supposed to think, you know, isn't it much better now when there's equality and, and women participate? Go in on. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> it does just seem so much cooler, doesn't it, and rock and roll, to be at the 1920s Women's Olympiad in Monte Carlo. I mean, that must have been an exciting atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Actually, did you see this, like, the sort of Pathé film footage of it? You, the, the sun is out, everyone's smiling, no one's crying and spitting and yeah. lying on the ground beating their fists. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Everyone's having a great time. They're in Monte Carlo, they're running around in the sun, they're all <laughs> yeah. women, they're smoking cigarettes. <laughs> exactly. There was one other amazing thing, which was that Miliat was meant to be honoured at the Paris 2024 Games, where a venue was going to be named after her, uh, this arena that was meant to stage the badminton and rhythmic gy- gymnastics and the powerlifting only for it to be sold to Adidas, which seems like like the best possible <laughs> summary of modern day sport possible. <laughs> what? So they, they're not calling it nope, Miliad? they're calling it Even, why can't the they... Adidas Arena. Adidas? <laughs> oh. Why can't they call it the Adidas Miliad Arena? What's wrong with these people? Because she didn't pay millions of pounds <laughs> exactly. for the privilege. <laughs> <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.